0: On And and so here we are, um, and uh, it's good to be back here on Sunday uh, fellowshipping and worshiping with one another. We are in the Gospel of Luke. If you have not been with us for a little while or are new, um, we are in the Gospel of Luke. And so I would encourage you, if you've got a Bible, find one in the seat pockets in front of you, uh, on your phone or your tablets or however you read the Word of the Lord, to turn to Luke chapter 6. And again, as a reminder... The reason we are going through the gospel uh is because we are on a journey to find out who jesus is and i say is because we know he's our risen savior uh we find out who he is and to dive into his teaching and his example as he walked here on this earth and so like i said we're going to be in luke chapter 6 um around 7 verse 17 through about uh, 26 today and I think we have the scripture where we're able to pull that up and we're going to stand and read this scripture together. So if you will join me in standing and let us read the word of the Lord together. This going to be Luke 6:17 through 26. After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people. From all of Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because the power was coming out from him and healing them all. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, "'Blessed are you who are poor.'" because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all the people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. All right, you may be seated. This is the passage for today, and this is a passage of incredibly great news, but also of great warning. Some incredibly great news, but also some great warning. Now, the world is full of people who think that Jesus is a great Moral teacher, a lot of people out there. If you ask them about Jesus, without, let's say, the church, they're just asking about Jesus. Oh yeah, he said some great things. We love the stuff he said about love and all that kind of stuff, and and uh, trying to to tie his his uh, teachings into kind of the the cultural norm and the cultural narratives. And so a lot of people out there will say that Jesus was a great moral teacher, meaning that they respect some of what he had to say and what he was. All about. I mean, he was, he was feeding those who were hungry. He was talking about those who were poor and, and saying, hey, you're blessed. You're blessed. Uh, he, was, uh, he was the one who was for the outcast while all the other folks in power were just to really they just wanted to out put people out. Uh, and so Jesus comes on the scene, and a lot of people say that, you know, he's, he is a great guy. He is a great guy. Let's, let's add him to all this other stuff that we like, all these other teachers, philosophers, uh, theories that we like. And sometimes we tend to put Jesus sort of in that social media influencer, kind of throwing out catchy memes category. Right? And, and we, we see his, his stuff on, on social media. You see his stuff on Facebook, right? People quoting him and, and uh, going back to the Gospels and, and uh, tweeting and, and, and putting posts out there about what Jesus had to say. But sometimes we keep him in that category instead of understanding who he fully was. Jesus stands out. Jesus stands out. He is not a social media influencer, though he does have influence, great influence. Jesus stands out, and he stands out because he makes the claim that he is the Son of God, meaning he is God. He is God. He makes this claim, which is a radical claim, a a huge claim, an important claim, a claim that we can't ignore And sometimes we see out there that people will say that, yeah, he is really a good teacher, but they will deny what he was actually coming here to proclaim to the world, to the world. I I like C.S. Lewis. I don't read him enough, but he's got some great stuff out there. And and he says this. This is a little bit of a lengthy quote. Let me just read this. Uh, It may be familiar to some of you. C.S. Lewis says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that the, really, that the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of thing that Jesus said uh, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg. You got to love C.S. Lewis. Claiming someone claiming he's a poached egg. Or else, or else, he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a man, a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for being a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so Lewis's famous thing is Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he actually is Lord. Those are the choices. Those are the choices. Because Jesus here is, is living a very bold life and making very bold claims, and so we have to put him in these categories of how we, what we believe about Jesus. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic, a crazy person? Or is he actually Lord? And this is what we have to wrestle with. And if Jesus is Lord, then we can't treat his teachings as just... Something that we see on social media and, and the influencers on social media and some of those pithy little sayings out there. It goes deeper. And so we have to have a different response to his teaching is what this is what we want to do as a church. This is what we want to do. And he needs to be studied. If he's Lord, it needs to be accepted. And if he's Lord, it needs to be applied because this is his plan for our life and for our lives. G.K. Chesterton, a 19th century scholar, says this. I love this quote. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And we don't want to be in that group. We don't want to be in that group. Are we willing to try? Are we willing to try to live and respond to Jesus in the way that he's calling us to respond too. And this is where Jesus steps in. He's, he's, he's been in the synagogues. We've seen we've seen his birth. We've seen his family. We've seen all these other things. He started teaching. He started drawing crowds. He's been in the synagogues. He's starting to grow, grow in popularity. And now, right now, he's going to say some pretty powerful things about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. This leads... Uh, We're leading into a a famous sermon. Uh, Most famous comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew does a a collection of Jesus' teachings and puts them all together in this great big sermon. Uh, Luke kind of spreads it out a little bit throughout his Gospel. Uh, But here we come to this teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And so Luke's is, is treated as a smaller passage of Scripture than Matthew's but still very, very important. And he's going to start telling us, Jesus is going to start telling us what it looks like to live in God's kingdom, what it looks like to be a part of God's family. And this is critical for us as the church. This is critical for us as the church. And the first thing that he's going to do is tell us about the kind of people who live in God's kingdom. So he's starting to unwrap what the kingdom looks like, how the kingdom is going to function he's going to talk about that uh, a little later as in the next couple weeks um, but right now right here today he's going to tell us what kind of people live in god's or should be say, are invited or find god's kingdom so previously in luke jesus had spent the night uh, praying to to god his father and he had gathered his disciples, and he chose uh, 12 disciples out of that group and called them apostles, apostles being messengers. They're going to be the ones who really go out and proclaim. When, when Jesus ascends after his, his ministry, after his resurrection, uh, the apostles are going to go out and um, really get the church going and be the foundation um, for spreading Christ's teaching to the the larger world. And so we saw uh, what it looked like to be a part of his team a couple weeks ago. Thank you, uh, Mark and Scott, for delivering that message. And so uh, Jesus has this group of people, and they're coming down from the mountain. And it says this in Luke 6, 17 through 19, "...after coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples." And a great number of people from all of Judea, Jerusalem, the seacoast, Tyre, and Sidon, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them. Here we come. Jesus is coming down the mountain with his disciples, with his newly minted apostles, uh, the smaller crew within his group of disciples, and uh, he's, he's got his disciples, and a large gra- a crowd of people is gathering around him. We often see the large crowds in like, you know, the 5,000 or so where he feeds them on the, on the mountain. And uh, they're there to follow uh, his teaching, to hear his teaching, but also to experience his healings as well. To experience his healings as well. It says that power was coming out of him, and they're pressing in to touch him, and to to experience the healing power that comes from Jesus. It's very interesting. We've seen Jesus heal people. This is a sign of the Messiah. This is the sign of the, of the coming kingdom of, of God and the Messiah doing his work here on earth. And and so he's also, he, people are excited about this. They want to experience it. I can imagine, you know, a healer comes into town and yeah, I'm, I'm sick. I've got something. Yeah, I want to go see him or my brother, my sister, or my son, my daughter. Yeah, we want to go see that. Luke treats this passage though, uh, emphasizing the healing that's coming out from Jesus, the power that comes out from Jesus. Luke likes that. That idea, that word power with Jesus, he uses it a number of times within the Gospel of Luke and also Acts. But it's interesting, he shuts that down pretty quick here. He shuts that down, that line of thought pretty quick here, and he goes directly into what Jesus is going to teach them about what it means to be in God's kingdom. And we'll talk about healings more and more as they pop up within the gospel. But right, right now, Jesus' focus is giving them this sermon, giving them these words, showing them, inviting them in, showing them who, uh, the, who comes into God's kingdom. What do, what do those people look like? What do those people look like? And so he starts talking. The Scripture says uh, that he uh, looks to his disciples in verse 20. And he starts talking to his disciples. I can imagine. So he's on this this. Uh this plane with his disciples and these large crowds. And then he does what he often does. Is he starts speaking to his smaller group of disciples. Hey, this is really important. I want to give you some information here, uh, tell you about what's coming in the kingdom. And I imagine the crowds around him, around him, you know, kind of list, pushing in, pushing in, trying to listen. What did he say? What did he say? And I can see the murmurs of these, these words going out to the larger, the larger crowds before Jesus would actually address them. Uh, like I said, uh, Luke's telling of the uh, Sermon on the Mount is a little bit different than, than Matthew. Uh, Luke's sermon is on a plane. And I think for this sermon, I think this was probably uh, some of the, the, the main information that Jesus was giving over and over and over and over again to the people that would gather around him. All right? He goes to all these different places preaching and teaching. So I don't think the Sermon on the Mount, even though it takes up like one spot within our, our Gospels, I don't think this is a one-and-done sermon. This is his message, right? You go hear a speaker, a popular speaker, and what do they do? You go hear a topic from them, well, they're speaking the topic to us, and then they're going to go speak that topic to someone else, and someone else, and someone else, because this is the message. This is the message, and this is Jesus' message. And so I think uh, that uh, as Luke has scattered it out throughout his gospel, Matthew consolidates it into the Sermon on the Mount. Luke says that they come down to this level plain where Matthew actually says they're on a mountain on the, with this sermon. Luke, Luke's sermon here, the recorded sermon, is 34 verses long, whereas Matthew's is 111 verses long. Again, Luke is scattering the teaching throughout Jesus' ministry in a different way than Matthew did. And Matthew puts it more into a grouping. And this is why I think that this, this is a message that Jesus takes and, and goes and presents. This is what the kingdom looks like. Here I am, your Messiah, going to these villages and these towns, preaching this message. And he's going to start out and say, hey, let's talk about what a happy life looks like, what a happy life looks like. He uses this word blessed. He's going to use it four times. Matthew uses the word about nine times within his um, Sermon on the Mount. And this starts off what we call as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Blessed. Blessed means happy. So think about that. Blessed means happy. As he says blessed there, think happy. And what does he say? Then looking up as disciples in verse 20, blessed, happy, are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours? Blessed, happy are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. Blessed, happy are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed, happy are you when people hate you and they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note your reward in, is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. These are the happy ones, the poor, the hungry, the weeping, those who are hated, excluded, and slandered. Those are the happy ones. Does that make, does that list make you happy? <laughs> On the surface, that comes across as a social media meme. Hey, these are all the happy people in our country. You know, the poor, those who have no food, those who are, we're excluding, and, and they're, they're grieving over loss. Hey, these are all the happy people. The world is going to say what? No way. And maybe they're going to say, hey, we got to go in and fix that problem. Because yeah, we actually we're uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable with this. We're uncomfortable of this, this state of things. Happy are the ones who are poor, who are hungry, who are weeping, who are hated, excluded, who are spoken against. But when we follow Jesus, we find ourselves in this position and we can experience the joys of the kingdom even in the midst of the most difficult times when we follow jesus he's going to give us the comfort and the confidence to say that we can rejoice he says he says rejoice find joy in your position because if you're part of god's kingdom who has you in his hands god has you in his hands god is looking out for you. It's all about perspective and, and focus. Those who are poor, you're, you're, left out, you're left out here on this earth. You're, you're left out, but there is plenty of room for you in God's kingdom. That's what Jesus says. There's plenty of room for you in God's kingdom. Those who are hungry, you don't always get enough to meet your basic needs. God sees this, and he promises, you, he promises to offer you complete satisfaction. Those who are weeping, you're grieving a loss, there's pain, maybe injustice in your life. He says that'll change to laughter because eventually this is going to go away. This is going to go away. Matthew frames his sermon in more spiritual terms where Luke comes out and frames this as more of a a literal meaning. This is happening now. The people that, as Jesus is sitting there giving this sermon, it's like he's saying, I know this is happening right now, right here. You people, you feel poor, you feel hungry, you feel oppressed, you feel left out, Uh, you're you're being spoken against. You are my people. He's talking about the the nation of Israel. They're they're, They're under the influence of a of a, a huge superpower, and they have no say, right? They're, they're being taken advantage of. They're, they're part of a, the, a little cog in this huge wheel, and they're being left out. They're being spoken against. You know, hey, we, we know that, the, we know that the, uh, the powers to be gave you liberty not to worship all our gods, but we don't like this, and so they're spoken against. They're slandered. Uh, they're, they're excluded They're seen as just a a backward little country in this huge empire that's trying to move forward and they're not moving with them. And Jesus says, God sees this. God sees your states. And guess what? The kingdom of God is going to be filled with people just like you. Where the, the, the Roman Empire says, no, you need to be just like us in order to climb up the ladder, in order to get power and status and position and all of that, that, that you need to survive in this world, Jesus says not, that's not the way it is with God's kingdom. And this has nothing to do with you know, the people who have no bank accounts automatically being brought into God's kingdom. right? Those who miss a meal automatically getting a seat at God. Say, we know that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All right? But he's saying that these are the people who recognize their dependence on God. These are the kinds of people who recognize their dependence on God because, man, they can't depend on anything else. And Jesus knows that life is hard. Life can be hard. He's going to walk down a a very lonely path himself. The very hard, lonely path himself. He's going to literally experience the full weight of the world on his shoulders as he's going to the cross, hanging on the cross, the weight of sin, the weight of death, the weight of all of our shame and guilt piled on top. And he's going to conquer that. In John 16, he says, I have told you these things so that in me, in me you may have peace. You will have sufferings in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. I have conquered the world. This is what Jesus said. This is is why we can't dismiss his claims. This is why we can't just put him up on a a social media pedestal and say he has a little bit of influence and he has some, some good things to tell the world. In him, he says, in him we can find peace. All of these people who he says are, are happy, who are blessed, the poor, the hungry, those who are weeping, those who are excluded and spoken against, you can find peace in Christ. He says, I understand. I understand and the kingdom is not closed to you just because you feel like the world is shut down to you. So Jesus is not here to give us a self-help message. He's giving us a way of living of life, even in the midst of a world that is so, so challenging. And these are not fun places to be. No, no one says, hey, this, this is where I want to be. Poor, broke, no meals, no family, no, no friends, people against me all the time. Jesus says the kingdom of God, the true reality, true reality is open to you, not just this temporal reality that we live in. True reality, eternal reality is open to you. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. He sees these people and he says these are the ones who are depending on the Lord's provision. These are the ones who, 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 who will put their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ. They will see their state and they know that they will need a Savior to rescue them from this world. And you may not feel like you have what it takes to survive. You don't have enough energy or resources to survive. You may start finding yourself beating um, to a different drum than the world around you. And that's going to cause people to hate you, to exclude you, and they may even slander you. Why? Why? Is it because of what we may be doing? No, it's because of what Christ has done he says in verse 22, all this happens because of the Son of Man, because of Christ, because of what he has done. He is, again, holding the weight of the world on his shoulders for us and inviting us in to come and to, to experience the glorious peace that comes from his kingdom, from comes from, from being part of his family. This is actually a time for rejoicing, he says. This is time for rejoicing. Why? You're actually following in the footsteps. You're following in the footsteps of your ancestors and the prophets. You're following in their shoes. A kingdom reward is waiting. And like the the prophets of old, those who speak truth often are beaten down and taken advantage of. He says, you're like, you're like the prophets of old. You see, Isaiah, Isaiah was sawn in two. That sounds like fun. Isaiah was sawn in two for speaking the word of the Lord. Jeremiah was stoned. Daniel was thrown into a lion's pit, and we know that the, the Lord rescued him out of that, but still, he was thrown into a lion's pit. He was thrown into a lion's pit. Ezekiel himself was, was martyred, and the list goes on and on and on about those who, who saw God's truth, spoke God's truth, and he says, that's the company you're keeping. That's the company you're keeping you are in. And he says, there is a great reward. He uses the word great reward for those who follow him. Great means a better reward. It means even more. It means enough. God is going to provide enough for us. God will provide enough for us. And the future is full of hope and comfort and peace for those who follow Jesus. But the reality is that we live in a Dog eat dog world around here, right? Everybody out for themselves, the goal of life is to win because if this is all there is, man, we don't win. We've got nothing to show for it. Our family, we like to watch The Amazing Race. Anybody watch that show? Race around the world, you know, got a few hands back there. That's good. I got a few hands. Uh, we, uh, the Race around the world, we're going back all the way back to the, the beginning seasons because our kids haven't seen the show. So we're watching, it's still like squared off. TV. remember those days you have a squared up box TV that's where we are in this show uh, It's not wide uh, wide frame yet anyway we're watching the amazing race and the game is the, the goal of the game is to to race around the world completing all these obstacles and challenges and tasks and there's about 12 different teams who start this thing and one team gets to step on the finish line and win a million bucks and it's great and it's all over the world Sarah and I have heard since we've been married, have said, mean, we've got to get on this show somehow. We've got to get on this show. This would be fantastic, fantastic to do this. Anyway, the goal is to progress around the world, picking up clues, picking up clues and tasks. We've seen episodes, we've seen episodes where the teams have gone and and they've missed a clue and it's literally in a box with a flag and you grab it and you see where you go next and they fumbled through and they missed a clue and they get to the end of the leg of the race and the, the host says, guess what? You missed the spot, you got to go back. You missed the clue, you have to go back and you see them and they have to go back and figure out where they lost it along the way as they're trekking around the world and go back. The people who dismiss Jesus are missing the clues on what it takes to win the race, what it takes to win The race, Jesus is giving an idea of what the kingdom means. And now he has come and he is ushering in this new kingdom. And he says, things are going to change. God's kingdom is going to change the way that we run and that we win this race. And without Jesus, there just isn't much hope for this world. And Jesus frames this conversation about the the hopes of the world. The hopes of the world he frames with the woes woe. The prophets would use the word woe as, as warnings of condemnation in the Old Testament. They would come to God's people and say, woe, woe to this, woe to this. It's a heavy word. It's, it's like hearing a curse. It's like hearing a curse. It's, it's filled with unrelenting sorrow and pain. Just this, this little word woe, sorrow, agony, it's a state that can't be relieved. This is, this is a, a crushing word, a crushing word for a person. In verse 24, he's going to flip the script a little bit. He says, I've, I've shown you what kingdom people are all about, those who are actually seeking to depend on the Lord. In verse 24, but woe, woe to you who are rich. You see, we have a poor thing, and now we got. he's addressing a rich thing for you have received your comforts. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. See, he's, he's, he's going back and forth. See how Jesus is doing this? Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. See how Jesus is going back and forth here? He says, this is what the kingdom looks like. Good news, good news, good news. This is what... The world looks like, oh my gosh, we got to stay away, we got to watch out for this woe to all of this the rich. You have everything you could possibly want and access to whatever you want. It's like you're you're stocking away all the resources for yourselves, you're filling your barns with all the stuff that you can't take with you. Woe to those who are rich. I wonder if Jesus if he was standing here today would say, "Woe to you who can launch a spaceship into space just for kicks." Woe to you! Has a huge boat that you can go to a foreign country and say, "Hey, you got to take down this bridge for me, so that I can drive my boat through the channel." I wonder if Jesus, woe to you! You're stockpiling up, but this stuff is what is going to burn up. You can't take it with you. Woe to the the full! You've stuffed your faces. You've enjoyed your three, your four, or five meals per day, you've got the fridge stocked and overflowing, and and do you see these other people who are poor and who are the the hungry, but you just keep stuffing your faces, you're you're satisfying all your desires now, and this 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 is not about needs, this is about lusts of our heart, lusts of our heart, woe to you who are full now. Woe well, you! Are, you will be empty. Woe to you who are joyful and laughing. You're focusing on the good time that you're having right now, but weeping is to follow. Now, I don't think Jesus is against having a good time and, and laughing, but look at the attitude, the difference in attitude from those who are uh, who are finding God's kingdom to those who are finding their kingdom here in this world. Weeping is to follow, and hell, it's interesting, is often described as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? This is what's to follow. If, if you're putting all your eggs in this basket, in this life, and you're, 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 you're denying who Christ is, I think, as people make their, their way into hell and experience this this weeping. They they've laughed in this world and now they find themselves in a place of of weeping. It's like the devil's going to get the last laugh with them before they're cast away from God. Woe to you who are spoken well of. When people speak well of you, you seek popularity and you, you want to you want people to tell you what what you want them what you want to hear. This is like what you did with the false prophets way back when. You know A true prophet would come in, speak truth from the Lord, and what would you do? You'd stone them, you'd throw them away, throw them into a pit. You'd end his life, but the false prophet comes in and he's telling you all those good things that you want to hear. Oh yeah, God's going to bless you. God's going to bless you. Yeah, the little idol worship you do on the side, not a big deal. God's going to still bless you. You're still God's people. You're still God's people. Nothing's going to happen to you. Uh, Just Isaiah, Jeremiah, just, just don't mind them. Don't mind them. I'll just keep tickling your ears with the words that you want to hear. Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 1. God speaking, what are all your sacrifices to me, asked the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, and male goats. These are the sacrifices that that were called for, to to be God's people. What are your sacrifices to me, the Lord asks. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me new moons and Sabbaths and calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. It's like that they're coming with their offerings out of their abundance and greed, seeking their desires, their pleasures, but they're missing the the secret sauce in all of this. And Isaiah goes on, later on in a a couple other verses, verse 17, learn to do what is good. You think you just lay an offering on the, the altar? burn it up in my presence, and you think you're, you're good and it's all taken care of. That's rubbish. Learn to do what is good. Pursue justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. All those people at the beginning who Jesus talked about, take care of them. Take care of them. You're so focused on yourselves. Look beyond that. This is the prophet's message over and over and over and over again. You, you've offered up your offerings and your sacrifices. But it does nothing for you because you leave all those people out who are in need. All the people who are suffering, you've left them out. And so Jesus' judgment for his audience is the same as God's judgment for Israel during the days of the prophets. You got fed and fat. You neglected those in need. You laughed in my face with your worship. You desired the words of false prophets who catered to your interests and your desires and who, out of all these lists... These eight different groups. Who does Jesus say are fortunate and blessed and happy? I say the poor, the sad, the suffering. Mark Scandrett says this, What's surprising is who Jesus calls fortunate. At the time, people assumed that only the most wealthy, attractive, or powerful were blessed. Poor, sad, and suffering people were thought to be cursed. Still today, it can feel like our circumstances, our identity, our, our previous choices exclude us from the blessed life. With these strange blessings, Jesus announces that a thriving life under God's care is available to anyone. Whatever your story, whatever your struggle, whatever you find yourself in, this path is available to you. This is the gospel message. The gospel message is a curse to those who want to live on their own, and it's a blessing to those who want to depend on the Lord. And this is what Jesus says in these verses about self-gratification and self-satisfaction, rich, full, worldly joy, popularity. None of this lasts. None of that lasts. And are we paying attention to this? I read these words, and I sometimes think that this should scare the socks off of the citizens of a country that thrives on more wealth and prosperity than any other country at any other time in history, the history of humanity. I love living here. I love living in America. But as we look at where we are, what we have, the wealth, there's been wealthy nations, but it's never been scattered across so many people. Everybody in this room, no matter where we are on the economic scale around us, we are in 1% of the world where we are. We, we are the 1% in the world when it comes to prosperity, each and every single one of us in this room. And so as we look at this a list like this, Jesus says we got to evaluate where we're putting our trust. What are we holding on to? What are we seeking after? What, what kind of kingdom am I trying to honor right now, mine or, or God's? There's no blessing in the second group of people. Jesus says you will be blessed because of the Son of Man with that first group and the, the group that we really don't ever want to be a part of. You know, hungry and poor and those who are weeping. We don't gravitate towards that. But he says there's no blessing. This does not last for this second group of people who He's spoken the woes to. A wealthy, a well-liked person without Jesus is the most doomed person you will meet because they're walking down a path of self-satisfaction and doing it on their own, and at some point this comes to an end. It comes to an end. And even if it looks like everything is wonderful in someone's life and whatnot, Jesus, our teacher, says that there is no reward in the future. Those things do not enter into the kingdom of God. There's a poll done recently, a Gallup poll done recently. I think I got a slide for that. There we go. Interesting poll uh, done recently. And uh, so Gallup poll, and so it's just a general poll. Uh, the bottom line there is, is our satisfaction with the way things are going in the U.S. It's a little low right now. It's about 17% of people say they're satisfied with what's going on in the U.S. And it's been up and down. You see how that goes up and down, up and down. And so every four years, groups of people take it up or down, you know, depending on your political s- persuasion. That top line is uh, the number percentage of people satisfied in the United States with where they are in their personal life. And I think this is interesting. If I dive down a little, deeper into this, it's interesting, we're about 85% of of people, 85% of people polled in this room would say, I'm pretty satisfied with my life and where I am, even if I'm not satisfied with where the country is going. The interesting thing for me, this is a a mixed group. These are not just believers. You know, believers, we said, yeah, I'm satisfied with my life because I know who holds my life, right? I'm depending on Christ, and no matter my situation, I am satisfied because I know who I am and what I have before me. But this is a mixed group of believers and unbelievers. And so we know that the number of self-professing people in the United States who self profess to be followers of Jesus is going down, is going down, which means that this level, this, this line continues to kind of just go static across, which means that people are finding more and more worth and value in themselves and what they have, and what they can bring in. I think that these numbers speak to this as a believer, as a church. If the number of Christians is going down in a country, but the level is still staying as far as satisfaction, where is that satisfaction then coming from? It's not coming from our hope and trust in God. There's a world out there, a world out there, that's putting in their, their hope in something other than Jesus Christ as their Savior and what he is going to bring. And, and we can fall into this trap, too. We can fall. We have day. I have days. It's like, oh, yeah, man, I just gotta drive and drive and drive. And I need, I need, I need. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Step back. Hold on. Does that even matter in the grand scheme of things? Is that going to promote God's kingdom or prevent God's kingdom from being lived through my life? But I think for me, the stats is oh, people are finding hope in a lot of places other than Jesus Christ as their Savior. The world around us sets up a false sense of hope. Jesus says, For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In Luke 9. So someone needs to hear this today. That... The kingdom of God is open to everyone who will come and find their dependence on Jesus Christ. He says, "You blessed, you will, you, will, you will experience blessings in your life. It may not look like the world's blessings, what the world describes as blessings, but you are blessed if you come and are part of God's family. And those of us who are seeking to live this life and in, in this world on our own. There is not great hope in that. I found this quote from Randy Alcorn. He says, The world is the closest to heaven unbelievers will ever know. This world is the closest to heaven that unbelievers will ever know. And the closest to hell God's children will ever know. This world is the closest to hell that God's children will ever experience because of his promises and what he's provided for our future. So as we got dive into this gospel, Lewis's question is pertinent, is Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? And if he's Lord, we have to look at what he's saying, what he's teaching, what he's bringing us and saying, are we willing to follow this? No matter the pain, no matter the consequences, are we holding on to the reward, the promises that come with God's kingdom for those who will put their trust and hope in Jesus Christ? So this week, Jesus tells us what kind of people find his kingdom, what kind of people experience his kingdom, those who are dependent on God. And next week, Jesus is going to start telling us how God's people act, how kingdom people act. Acts, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be drawn to you, that we would see your claim as Savior and not dismiss that. This is the gravest mistake that we could make. I pray, Lord, that as we we see how you are guiding us through this world, giving us hope and the comfort that we need, we know that things will not always be what we want or, or how we want to experience them, but, Lord, we are holding on to something greater, these great promises that you have given us. Pray, Lord, that we would turn our attention, our eyes, and our ears to you to live out this, this kingdom life that you have provided for us. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.